Amen. I want to preach this morning on the subject. I really want God to help me with this. I want God to, to speak to our men. I want, to, I want to preach this morning about brother culture. Brother culture. A culture of brotherhood in the church. God bless you. You can be seated. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on this aspect because I just, I don't, I don't want to be a preacher that's always on a rant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Always on a rant. And, you know, it's an easy target for a preacher and it probably always will be. The world is going to be the world. Culture is going to be culture and the world is going to be screwed up. In case you didn't know that, turn on the news. People are messed up. People are screwed up. So I'm, I'm not just, uh, you know, I'm not just building a, a simple case here. But I, I do, I will mention as I begin this message this morning that, and I think everybody can be in agreement on this very simple fact, there is a war on men. There is a war on men. And again, I'm... I'm just not going to spend too much time on this aspect, but there is an, a, a cultural assault on masculinity. It's under the phraseology of toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. Now, I'm also not going to be a preacher that puts his head into the sand like an ostrich and pretends like men don't have issues. Uh-huh. Because men, men, men in our culture have issues. But can I tell you something else? So do women. So, well, God bless you, Debbie. Amen. It's true. It's true. So let's not, not just pick on the toxic masculinity. There is an attack, though, on, on men. There's an attack on genuine masculinity. Toxic masculinity is oftentimes maligning and mocking some of the aspects of manhood that are good that are right. Masculinity is good. Uh, God made men to be men. And God made women to be women. And the men that love women say amen. <laughs> and the women that love men say amen. That's good. It's the way God made it. But there is a, a, an assault that is being made right now to somehow malign, undermine, poke fun at, mock men. Guys, they're after you. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't problems, but guess what? There are people problems. And guess what? Men are people. And if culture is going to attack men, though, how about culture at the same time offer some positive solutions? I'm not seeing much of that anymore. How about inspirational movies about good men? Hollywood ain't producing that. How about we stop rewriting history to outline all the bad characteristics of men or furthermore changing and rewriting history to show how bad that men are when oftentimes those men that are being portrayed as bad really were good. Amen. What I'm saying is there is a war on men. So I am not here this morning from this wonderful pulpit to be one of those voices. I am here today to minister to, to encourage, to strengthen, and at the same time to challenge the men 
of this church. Oh, hallelujah. I think it's time for men to get on their feet and stand for what's right and stand against what is wrong. Oh, praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Men are under assault. I was studying this week and I was considering this subject and it was like, you know, the Lord reminded me just almost confrontationally of the reason why. Do you know why there's an attack on men? I'm asking a rhetorical question because I'm fixing to answer it. But there's a Bible verse that tells us very simply why there's an attack on men. The Bible says in Mark 3 and 27, notice with me, Mark 3 and 27, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his goods. See what Jesus is saying right here? <clears throat> Jesus is saying you can't just barge into a house and rob a house, Travis. You can't just break into a house and, and, and take the goods that are in that house unless, first of all, you find the guy that's got a great big old double-barreled shotgun Am I in northern Minnesota? Guy that's got a shotgun that's standing at the door of that house, you're not going to rape his wife and kill his children. You're not going to steal his goods if the man is at the front door and he is guarding his house. You're not going to do that. That's why Jesus says if you're going to rob a house, the first thing that you have to do to rob a house is you got to take out the man. And if you take out the man, then you're easily in many ways going to be able to just waltz into that house. And I know we've got a lot of tough women too, and we've got women that know how to bear arms as well. <laughs> and we have some of that. Amen. But Jesus said the only way that you can take a house is if you somehow or another, if you bind and you take out the strong men. Is there any wonder why there is a target upon our men? Because the enemy knows, men, that if he can get you out of the way, there is a degree of vulnerability that exists that now sometimes at will an enemy can come into a house and take what he will. But I thank God here today that there are men, men that are willing to lay down their lives uh, for their families. I thank God that there are men this is what real men do. They don't allow somebody to just come and abuse their children. They don't allow just anybody to come in and spoil a house. I'm looking for something to rise up within our men. Amen. We don't just allow things like that. There's something inherent within men that says, I was built to defend the ones that I love. I was, God gave me this capital T testosterone to be a leader in my home and to not allow some things to happen because God created me to be a man and I love my children and I love my wife and I love my family and I love my home enough that I'm not going to allow anybody to just walk in and do damage to my family because God has placed me in my home to be a, a strong man. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man. And then after you bind the strong man, then you spoil his house. Do you see, do you see what's happening here? The only way that you can break down something is to somehow or another entrap the man, weaken the man, emasculate the man. And if you can do that, then you can easily take what is his. 
Do we realize, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I promise I'm going to try not to beat up on culture today, but do you realize that America right now, that in the American military, it is massively down in recruitment? The American military is massively down in recruitment. They say that the army is down 15,000 soldiers. It is 25% down its goal of recruitment. 25%, they're missing 15,000 army soldiers right now because they can't get men to enlist in the army. The Air Force is down 10,000 airmen. They are short 10,000 airmen. The Navy is down 6,000 recruits. Do you know why? Because on many uh, bases right now, they're doing drag shows on bases. It is a shame. It is a shame. If you look at some of the commercials and in, in, in this transgenderism and much of the stuff that is going on, in fact, in many ways, they're telling the heartland of America, we don't need you bunch of rednecks. That's what they're saying. And guess what? Young men are voting with their feet and saying, okay, if that's the way you feel about us, then we're not going to sign up for the military. And what is happening right now is there is a weakness in America because there's not enough men that are being recruited for service to be able to serve and defend the United States of America. And I'll say today that we are weaker as a result of it. America is weaker. They're saying that we are literally down a whole division in the U.S. military. Why is that? Because if you can bind the strong man, then there's no one there that's there to guard and guide the house. I thank God today, though, that that's not the way that it's, it is in the church of the living God, that there are men that are being recruited into the church of the living God. I serve notice on the devil this morning that there is a, man, I feel the Holy Ghost, there is a strong church that is arising. We thank God for the children. We thank God for the ladies in the church. But I want to I say that I thank God this morning for men that are Christian men, godly men, holy men, righteous men that are living for God on their two feet, living for the Lord, dedicated, consecrated, committed to the things of God, saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you not want to know what we're going to do, we're going to serve the Lord. Oh, praise God. I saw on this platform evidence here this morning, we virtually had every generation of men. I love to hear men sing, men voices. Amen. Amen. And we had, we had a teenager, and we had a young father, and we had another young father. <laughs> And an elder. <laughs> oh, that's mean. That was so mean. That was so mean. He's not that old. He's, he's pretty. <laughs> I deserve that. I'm the grandpa. I, I will be the elder representative here today. But we had, we, that's what we had. You know, years ago, I'll just say this. Years ago, there was a time, church, there was not a lot of men in the church. Some of you may not remember that day. I remember seeking the Lord about it, asking God, God, send our church men. Send us godly men. Send us holy men. Send us dedicated men. And you know what? I look across this building, and I would say per capita, we have a wonderful representation. God has answered that prayer. And there are men that are risen to the occasion that are saying, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I thank God that this church is represented, and it's well represented by godly men in the church, holy men in the church, dedicated men in the church, and we are stronger for it because we have men that are in the church. 
Because the only way the Bible says you can take a strong man's house and spoil his good is, is if you first of all bind the strong man. Is it any wonder, here we are in culture again, is it any wonder though why there's an assault on police? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, who wins when the police lose? The criminal wins. I won't bring all kinds of statistics here, but if you look at Baltimore and you look at some of these anti-policing metropolitan areas, if you look at those anti-policing that they're against the blue, you look at those communities, and it sounds, I guess, to some like it's a really good idea. Sounds like it's a good idea. It happened right here in Minneapolis. Sounds like when city councils say we're going to defund the police, we're not going to give any more money to our cops. Sounds like a good idea because those dirty, rotten cops. Now, first of all, let me just say this. Not all cops are honest. Yeah, that's just true, okay? But not all doctors are honest. Not all preachers are honest. I hope you don't hold that against me. Not all preachers are honest. Not all priests are honest. Guess what? Yeah, they're not. But you know what? I thank God for our military. I thank God for the men in blue. I thank God for the ones that are willing to stand in front of a bullet and stand in front of the, the evil person and, and pr protect us. I mean, if you, if you look at their cars, their cars, they have written on them. They're, they're, and I, I get it. I've, I tried to raise my children with a respect for police officers. Because really, the, the ones that don't respect police officers normally are the ones that are guilty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And some of you all used to run from the cops and have fun with it. Isn't it good to be on this side of the law, on the right side of the law? The Bible says the guilty flee when no man pursueth. <laughs> right? It's like when you were guilty, you weren't living for God, and you saw a cop car, you're like, oh, man, I better put that stuff under these seats. I got to get rid of Whoa. <laughs> You know, but I, 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 I hope I don't got to blow into a breathalyzer because you were guilty. But the Bible says, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know what that means? It's so nice not to have anything to hide. It's so nice to be living in a way that I don't have to worry about the police officers. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'll say I'm thankful for our police officers because if you defund the police, written on their cars, it says to serve and to protect. Guess what? If you take the protectors out of the way, guess who's really happy about that? The criminals are happy about that. The drug dealers are happy about that. The thieves are happy about that. And good, honest citizens are troubled by that because now all of a sudden it's really easy once the, the strong man has been bound to then just arbitrarily go in and to spoil the house. I'm saying thank God today for good men. Thank God today for right men. Thank God for godly men today. There is an attack, though, on men today. Ostracize the men, emasculate the men, castrate the men, offend the men, feminize the men, neuter the men, wreck the men. And as a result, in many cases, households are absent of fathers. And guess what you get quite often, not always, but quite often when you absent houses of fathers. Quite often you get ghettos. Quite often you get full prisons. Quite often you get broken-hearted children with no true male influence in their lives. I'll go further to say this, and I'm not going to bring to you some black helicopter conspiracy theory. I'm just going to tell you the truth. The truth of the, of the matter is it's intentional. It is intentional. 
Because the quickest way to destroy a culture and the quickest way to destroy a nation is to take away the strength and the vitality and the victory that is within men. What I am here to say here this morning, we're going to turn the corner. That is not what is going to be happening this morning. I am preaching to the men this morning. I'm preaching men, God is for you. I'm preaching men, take your rightful place in the Lord. I am preaching men, God is with you. I'm preaching to the men this morning, be all that God has called you to be. I'm saying in the church, if there's one place in the world, there ought to be a restoration of biblical masculinity. It ought to be in the house of God. It ought to be in the church. It ought to be in the church where men discover what it is to be men. Oh, come on, somebody, put your hands together. I'm saying this is where we discover it, in the church house, not in the crack house. We discover it in the church house because God made men. God made men, and I thank God for men in the church. We need our men. We need good men. We need godly men, and I would say furthermore that the world needs to see more good men oh praise God the other point that I want to make here this morning not only do we need men but we need men in solidarity we need men that are in this thing together comrades in arms apostolic unity God raising up an apostolic army a platoon a Pentecostal JP, a Pentecostal platoon, an army of men. To steal Stephen Ambrose's book title about Easy Company in World War II, a band of brothers. We need in the church for there to be a band of brothers. Come on, I'm for you, and you're for me, and we're for us, and we're not in this thing by ourselves. We're not a bunch of single, solitary men that are doing life alone. But yes, God has given the church godly men. I thank God for that. But we are godly men that aren't just doing this thing by ourselves. We are godly men that are in this thing together. Mm. Let me tell you about one such man, and it's kind of a funny story. We may get into a little bit. First uh, Samuel chapter 22, his name was David. The Bible says of David, he's running from Saul, a madman of a leader who's throwing javelins at him. He's got a homicidal spirit. He's trying to kill David, almost as if he can strangle him in the, in the cradle before his leadership ever fully develops. He's on the run. The Bible says in Samuel 22 and 1, David therefore departed thence and, and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither, thither to him. I want you to notice, so his, his household came to support him. But it wasn't just his brothers, that, his physical, natural brothers that came to be with him. Notice what it says. The Bible says, and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. I call this 3D revival. Distress, debt, discontented. NIV says it like this. Others began coming. Men who were in trouble. 
I want to swing the doors of the church wide open. I thought you had to be perfect and have everything together to go to that church. If that were the case, nobody would ever, ever have made their way into this church if that were the case. I thank God today that God rolls a red carpet saturated in blood invitationally to people that don't have everything together. That people whose lives, they may feel very ashamed. It's a testimony I hear over and over again. I could never go to church because you don't know how bad I've been. Well, welcome to the club. I said, welcome to the club. There's none good, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Unless we be a bunch of holy hypocrites and act like we've always had it together, we haven't always had it together. But I thank God in a day when I didn't have it together, there was a God that had a reaching down hand that reached down into me and my mess. There was a God with a reaching down hole in his hand, bloody hand reached down to me in my mixed up condition. And he didn't find me like you see me now because I got a nice suit jacket on now. He didn't find me when I had my stuff together. He found me when I didn't have anything together. And I was a big, fat, royal mess. But I'm so thankful today that God comes to people, 3D revival, that are in debt, that are in distress, that are discontented. They're unhappy with life. They don't like the way life has been. Life maybe hasn't dealt them a good, a good hand. and they're, they're sitting there broken and men show that in a different way. They show that with a big swagger. They show that with maybe a bit of arrogance. They show that and they put on a good game face but inside many men are dying internally. But I thank God today that there's a place that men can go where they can find healing and they can find wholeness and they can find strength in their life to become the men that God has called them to be. You don't find that on your own. You don't find that trying to do that all by yourself. Listen up. You find that when you get into a company of other men that are in the exact same position you're in. But there's a leader that's out front saying there's a better way for you. There's a better life for you. There's a better way for you to live your life. God can make something out of you. And I'll just say this, this, man, this, this church is filled with testimonies that are just like that. It's called redemption and lift. Redemption and lift. Those that were in the gutter. And Jesus, by his blood and by his spirit and by his power, touched that man's life and lifted him up. And all of a sudden you look and say, unbelievable, look at them. I just feel like calling people out here this morning. I think of Levi. I'm so Holy Ghost proud of Levi. Look at how far God's brought Levi in like two and a half years. I'm just like, well, I mean, how does this happen? How does this happen? And some of you don't know the Levi I knew like three and a half years ago. It's true. His head was hanging low. There wasn't hope. Things were dark. And yet look at Levi now. He's on the high side of things, living in victory, living in power, living in, living in strength. I just go, I just, I just, man, only Jesus can do that. I look at Travis, look at Travis, man. He's just, he's, he's got it all together. Look at what God's, look at what God's done for Travis. Look at his family in church living for God. I'm, I'm blown away. But, but the Bible says here that they came to David, they were in trouble. They were in debt. I won't ask for a show of hands here this morning. I won't ask for your credit score. 
Or the Bible says they were discontented because there's something within the heart of man that's yearning for more. Isn't there more to it than this? My, no, wonder, no wonder so many men are getting themselves in trouble in life because internally existential questions are driving them out of their mind. They did me. What's it all about? Is there anything more than, are you kidding me? This is it? This is all there is to life? You gotta be kidding me. Discontented. Debt, distress, discontentment. Sounds like a lot of the men that I come into contact with that I see in the world. What a motley crew. Here's my, here's my advice if you find yourself in that condition. I'll, I'll bring it to you right out of the scripture. Because the Bible says they found David. It says here there are about 400 of them. And the Bible says he became a captain over them. He became, you know what, oh God help us. You know what men are lacking in America today? Men are lacking leadership. Men need leaders that are worth following. Here were men that had problems in their life, but guess what? They found a leader that was worth following. They found in David, even though David was running from his own problems, they found a leader that was worth following, and they said, you know what? We're already in distress. We're in debt. Our lives are mixed, mixed up. We're discontented. What do we got to lose? This guy named David. Here's the funny part. Are you ready? I got to take you to the scripture, and this this is maybe a rabbit trail, but it's, it's a worthwhile one, I think. 1 Samuel 21, notice this is, this is the verses directly preceding this verse. Watch. David arose, uh, verse number 10, for fear of Saul, went to Achish, king of Gath. What's he doing with Gath in Gath? Remember where Goliath was from? I, I'm, you Bible scholars can help me out. Goliath was from Gath. One, two chapters before, he's kicking tail, and he, and he beats up this nine-foot guy. He takes out Goliath, who was the champion of the Philistines, the champions of Gath. The champions of Gath. He was a champion of Gath. Now David goes there. I, you're going to have to help me out with that later. The servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one another of him and dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. As soon as he heard what they were saying about him, he's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Maybe this isn't such a good place I should be hiding out. And the Bible says that he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. This is time for like a uh, illustration. Except I don't know if I can bring myself. Joe, could you help? Just kidding. He's like, he's, and he's, 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 he's at the gate and he's scratching the gate and spits coming out. He's foaming at them. David was crazy. David was crazy. And he was, he was putting, he was putting that on. He's just, he's like, he's like acting because he's like, I'm in trouble. And the only way I see out of this is I got to act like a crazy madman. He was willing to do whatever it took. And literally not three verses later, the Bible says there were men that came to him in debt, in distress, and discontented. And like, I see something in this crazy man that, you know, he's like real. This guy's like real. This guy is like legit. He's like a real dude. He's a real guy. He's, he's a real guy. He's, he's sincere at heart. If you're messed up, you need to find somebody that is worth following. 
Do you know this morning that David is a type of Jesus Christ? Come on, church. Jesus is a son of David. He is of the lineage of David. I want you to know this morning, there is someone that's worth following today, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's a leader worth following. He'll change your life. Oh, praise God. I want to preach about all their journeys and talk about all their journeys. I don't have time for that. But if you'll go later, you have 1 Samuel 22. Now go to 2 Samuel chapter 23. One full book, book later, 2 Samuel 23 and 8. It says, these be the names, notice what it says, of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Esnite. He left up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. One man. Again, against 800 he was bad to the bone he was he was strong he was a warrior how'd he get that way he found someone worth following and literally if you'll read in these next verses five times the word mighty men is used he had 37 of them 37 mighty men five times the best of the best one book before, what does it say? They're in distress. They're in debt. They're discontented. But they followed the right leader long enough. They followed David long enough that what he was somehow transferred to them. And they learned a different way to do life. They learned how to do life in victory. They learned how to do life in strength. They learned what courage was about. They learned what integrity was about. And because of that integrity and courage that they learned, they rose up and they became something so that the end of their life was much different than the beginning of their life. The beginning of their life was debt, distress, discontentment, unhappy, mixed up, messed up. But the end of their life is that they became mighty men of God. Mighty men of God. I'm so thankful that there's a God that can rewrite your history. You don't have to be what you've always been. I'm preaching hope to this church. I'm preaching to a man that feels like there's no hope for them. Your future can be better than your past. What you can be is better than what you've been because we've got a God named Jesus Christ that is worthy of you following and he can make out of your life what no one else can make out of your life. Jesus, I tell you what else they found is pretty cool though. They found a band of brothers, 400 of them. Say, hey bro, we're in this thing together. You read about those mighty men, they were fierce. They were aggressive, they were strong, they were godly, they were accomplished, and they changed the world. They shaped an aggressive, progressive kingdom of God. What progress? What was that written on the shoulders of? That was written on the shoulders of some mighty men of God that changed the kingdom. It's interesting to me that in the church, Romans 16, he goes, Paul goes through this long litany list of men in the church. Timotheus, he calls him my work fellow. Lucius. Jason, Sosipater, he calls him his kinsman. He said, we salute you. 
we greet you. He says, Tertius, who, he said, I wrote this epistle that you're reading right now. I salute you in the Lord. He, he names all these men. Gaius, my host, and the whole church saluteth you. Erastus, the, the chamberlain. Other translations say the director of public works, Travis. He calls him out. He says, yeah, here's a brother in the church. He, he, in his community, was a director of public works. He was the chamberlain of the city. But I really like, I really like what it says here. It says, and it names a guy that was in the, Roman, in the church. And he, and he calls him Cordus, a brother. I thank God today that we got brothers. I was raised in a family just, and all it was was me and my sister, and it wasn't enough. I wish our, that's why I thank God, God bless our family. We had four. And, but I, I, know I grew up, I never had a brother. I never had a brother. I had one sister. It was just the two of us. I never had a brother. But you know what? I thank God that when I came into the church, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. God gave me a bunch of brothers. I didn't have physical brothers, but you know what? I thank God I got spiritual brothers. And I want to encourage you today. One of the greatest blessings, men, blessings, men, that you have is the fact you can look around and swivel your head in this church and you can look around and guess what? You got brothers. You got brothers in the church. Thank God. This church is a band of brothers. Thank God for brothers. I'll tell you this morning that brothers matter. First Peter 2 and 17, it says, love the brotherhood. The brotherhood was a New Testament thing. There were strong bonds among the men that were in the church. And I would say it is no different in the 21st century church that we continue to need the brotherhood. We need the camaraderie that comes, brothers in the church. In fact, I want to take this just a whole nother step further. And I want to say that may God help us in the church to develop and grow a culture of brotherhood. Come on, man. Somebody said amen. That means we've got, we've got a mentality. We've got a heart. We've got an attitude. We've got a viewpoint that when we look across the church, we realize that's just not Bob Olson that owns Bob Olson Autobot. He's not just a, a body man. He, he's, he's, he's my brother. That's my brother. Thor sitting on the front row here. He's not just some guy that, you know, drives our van. He's not just a church member. Thor is my brother. He's my, this is my brother right here. He's not alone. When I look at Corey, here's a guy that doesn't just drive a truck and haul wood out of the woods. He's not a guy that just likes, you know, a lot of meat. He's a, he's a griller guy. He's not just a griller guy. This isn't just another member of our church. This is my brother. See that guy right there on the front there, that elder of ours? <laughs> He's not just the guy that works on the air conditioning. He's not just that nice guy that we see him around the church and, you know, when he comes in, he shakes our hand. Malcolm is my brother. Come on, man, you hear what I'm saying? Malcolm's my brother. See that guy way back there, that blonde, tall dude that now drives a cool truck? That's Jackson. Jackson's not just a kid in our youth group. He's not just a member of River Life Church. Jackson, listen up, is my brother. He's my brother. That guy sitting next to him is Leonardo. That's what I call Leonard. 
He's my brother. What are you saying? I'm saying, men, we're in this thing together. Furthermore, let me just say this. Men, don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. Don't do it all by yourself. If you look around, there's a whole group of other men that are with you that are in the same life predicament that you're in with the same goal in mind, going to the same glory place in heaven. They are serving the same God you serve. They're washed in the same blood that you're washed in. Come on, they're filled with the same spirit that you're filled with. They were baptized in the same name of Jesus that you were baptized with. And we together who are in the church are part of the brotherhood. We're part of the brotherhood. And not only are we part of the brotherhood, we estimate highly the value of the brotherhood. And we do as Paul says, and we love the brotherhood. We thank God for the brotherhood. We thank God for Cordus and Erastus and Tertius and Timothy. And we thank God for all the men that are in the church. We thank God for the brotherhood. You're not in this thing by yourself. If there's ever a message that I haven't wanted to just preach, but I would hope somehow or another this lifestyle and this culture would grow to another level and encourage us to create a brother culture. What does that mean? That means, man, that means, Gabe, I'm in your corner. That's what it means. That means I got your back. That means I'm, I'm with you. That means I, I, I believe in you. Come on, man, let's build that in our church. Come on, that means no man left behind. Come on, that means we don't want any guy to lose out with God. We want everybody to make it. Come on. In this church, there's no big eyes and little U's. There's no big eyes and little U's in this church. We're all on even ground at the cross. We all need Jesus. We all love Jesus. We all want God's will for each other's life. I'm talking about brother culture. Amen. I want to challenge us as I come to a close here this morning. I want to issue a very simple challenge, a few points I want to challenge. Number one, if you got a man sitting next to you, man, I want you to look at him and I want you to say, be a healthy man. Be a healthy man. One of the greatest things that you can do, guys, guys, we need healthy men. We need healthy men in the church. We need healthy men in the church. America. We need healthy men. Be a spiritual leader. Amen. I'll just say this. Passivity is a curse. It is a curse. Passivity is a curse. I would say the curse of this generation is passive men. Acquiesce. Give in. No passion. No drive. I am casting a vision for River of Life men here this morning that we are not like that. We are going to be spiritual men. We are going to be godly men. Come on. We're going to be men of prayer. We're going to be men of the word of God. Come on. We're going to be men of integrity. We're going to be men of character. We're going to be men of our word. You can trust us. That's the kind of men that we're going to be. We're going to fight the kind of battles that we need to fight that every man is going to fight because we want to be godly men. We want to be good men. We want to do God's will in our lives. We want to be healthy, healthy men. Next point that I would make is that we need men. Men, we need you to lead. We need you to, we need you to lead. We need the men of River of Life Church to be on their feet standing saying, I am willing to take the lead in my home, in my family, with my children, in my marriage, in my church, in my ministry. 
We are willing to lead. We're willing to take the lead. I'll give you a scripture that exemplifies this principle. I've used it many times before. I think, I mean, you can't do better than the word of God. First Timothy 2 and 8, Paul says this. He says, I will therefore that men, that men, notice, I will therefore, he's speaking to the men of the church. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. He said, I want, I want men, godly men to be praying. He said, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, I get it. First time I went to Pentecostal church, I was weirded out by people that lifted up their hands in church. I'm like, what is happening here? It was different, but it is a biblical mandate. It is, it is what God would desire of us because he says two things. He said, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. He said, minus these two things, without wrath and without doubting. Why do you think God said that? He said, I want men to be in the church with their hands raised, worshiping God. And when you're worshiping God, it's a, it's, it's a gut level spiritual check in my life that when I lift my hands, making sure that there's no wrath and there's no doubting in my life. Any idea why? Because men, you know one thing that we struggle with? One of the things we struggle with men is our anger. It happened the other day. I was at the dump. Pastor at the dump. I'm at the dump. And I pull into the, into the dump station and I had, you know, just a huge load. And if, if you've ever been in a Tash County dump, you go in there. And, and I got ready to pull into the, into the, into the house there and they, they, whatever they call it, the building. And then they look at it and tell you how much it's going to cost. Well, uh, Randall, the guy that works there, he, he motioned me to go off to the side, not to go in the building. So I'd already pulled up too far, so I put it in reverse. And I look in my rearview mirror because that's what normal, halfway intelligent people do. When you back up, you're going to make sure that there's not people behind you, right? So I'm a halfway intelligent person, so I looked in my mirror, and I saw that there was a truck behind me. I only needed about two feet. I put it into reverse, and, and I'm watching because obviously, obviously there is a guy behind me. So I start to go in reverse, and the guy behind me just starts laying on his horn. I'm like, bonehead, I know you're there. I mean, hello. I only got to go back two feet. And I felt it like in a second, just like that. It was like, it was just right there. And a guy's plonking his horn and honking his horn. I get out of the truck and I look at him like. And it's just right there. You know what I'm talking about? I told my wife, I said, I don't know where that came from. It's just. I talked to our elders yesterday. <laughs> and I said, you got to watch as you get older. Because one of the admonitions to the elder men, it says older men in the church, it says patience. I'm like, man, it was gone in that moment. I'm like, who is this bonehead? But, but you, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying here. Now, it doesn't mean you don't get angry. The scripture says, be angry and sin not. So I was okay. I didn't go back with a sledgehammer and smash out the guy's window. I say, hey, idiot, what do you, I mean, think, I, I didn't do that. Tempted. <laughs> didn't do that. Because you know why? Because when I go to church and when I go to worship and I go to prayer, I want to be able to lift my hands to God and say, these are holy hands. I didn't punch some guy in the face. 
I didn't, I didn't take out my, my, my unresolved conflict and anger that I have in my life, and I didn't beat somebody up. I, di- I, didn't, I didn't go after that. I didn't scream at the top of my lungs and make a fool of myself and my God and my family. I didn't do that. Because, you know, when we, when we worship God, men, he's saying, men, we're getting our anger issues under control. Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost. That means in we're, we're living for God. I'm learning how to get my anger issues out of control. I lift up holy hands so when I come to church and when I'm in prayer and I begin to worship the Lord, I can do so with a pure heart because these hands have not been lifted up to vanity. I have not sworn deceitfully. I've done things that are because God has helped me and I want to be honorable before the Lord. I want to lift up holy hands. So man of River of Life, I issue you a challenge. Brother Culture says... We're going to be a worshiping group of men in this church uh, that have worked through our anger issues. Furthermore, it says, without doubting, doubting, doubting. Why is that? Because men, you know what we deal with? Cynicism. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they really meant by that. Uh, Garrett, I, don't just, I don't know what I think about that. I don't know what I, second guessing everything. Picking everything apart. (laughs) Critical, cynical, can't find any good about anything. Critical. He said, but no, that's not what godly men, godly men have worked their way through that and they lift up holy hands without wrath. They've got anger. God has helped them to get that under wraps and under control without that, that eating sense of doubt within the heart and mind of a man. But, but, but godly men have worked their way through that. They're men of faith. They're men of prayer. They're men that have, are lifting up their hands in worship unto God without wrath or doubting. Come on, River of Life Church. Come on, River of Life men. Let's be those kind of men. Let's be the kind of men that are leading. Let's be the kind of men that are leading in worship and leading in prayer and leading in godliness and leading in ministry and leading in our families and the work of God. Final two points, don't go solo. Look at another man and say, don't do this on your own. There's a temptation for us to do this all by ourselves. Let's not do it by ourselves, guys. Let's not do it by ourselves. Thank God. Thank God we've got a growing church. We got a lot. I, I look across this church and in every demographic, there are, there are more men that are coming to God that are getting saved. I thank God for that. Men, we need you. We need you. Don't do this by yourself. Don't, don't go solo. Don't do it by yourself. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he hath not another to help him up. Don't go solo. There are too many lonely men in our world. We need brothers. We need brothers that say, hey, man, I'm with you. Come on. Let's go to heaven together. Let's live for God together. Let's do this life together. Let's raise our families together. I've been in this church long enough. I'm thankful it's, it's unique. We are now seeing generational transitions. We are seeing the young become older. Praise God. Stand together with me this morning. Please, if you're able.